this mini lecture is about authoritative approaches. This is the last of our five approaches. Um, I call your attention to the fact that it's authoritative, not authoritarian. Um, some people have sort of a knee-jerk uh, reaction to that word. Authoritative means based on knowledge, based on authority. Uh, we're not talking about anything that's going to repress children. We're talking about a system that is based on authority. And authoritative approaches uh, have an important place in your repertoire, and they're perfectly legitimate. Now we're going to take a look at what the basic principles of an authoritative approach. You are going to recognize this, and you're going to understand it. Now, I gave you three words way back in the beginning of the course. Communicate, enforce, teach. The basic premise of authoritative approaches is that you set up a system of rules and procedures. You communicate them to students. Uh, you also communicate them to school personnel. You enforce them, and then you use the order and the time that is created within this orderly system to teach. So this is, this is a, an approach that is focused on creating the time and the orderly environment for teaching and learning. All right, basic assumptions. We all live together. This is an authoritative approach. Uh, it's a law and order approach. If you look at our civil system uh, of government and laws, it, it's based on this assumption that we all live together. I give up my right to go 90 miles an hour down the highway or 120 miles down the highway to serve the common good. We all live together. Uh, we negotiate our living. We have rules. We have laws. I give up some things, you give up some things, so that we all do better. We all live together. Rules are necessary. Can't have life without rules. Can't have school without rules. Rules are necessary for the safe, orderly conduct of life. You can turn that around, and you can evaluate any, by, any rule by saying, is this rule necessary? Does this rule contribute in a meaningful way to the safe, orderly conduct of life out on the highway, in the school, wherever it is? Uh, rules are necessary, and what rules need to do is to promote the safe, orderly conduct of life for the group. Good rules. Increase efficiency and maximize the benefits for all. Again, rules are important, they're necessary, they, good rules, increase the efficiency and maximize the benefits for all. Again, you can evaluate rules. Does this rule increase efficiency? Does it maximize the benefits for all? All right, more basic assumptions. Authoritative approaches do not see the, the teacher as being a dictator up on top. Again, authority, the teacher's authority derives from his or her knowledge and abilities. Authoritative approaches say that teachers should be competent. They should be well-educated. Adults, their knowledge about the content that they're teaching 
and they're knowledgeable about teaching and how to teach. So they have an authority base for their teaching. Um, this approach puts high expecta expectations on teachers. You're expected to know what you're doing. All right. Teachers should be committed to promoting maximum growth and learning in children. The previous assumption said teachers know what they're doing. They know their content, they know pedagogy, they're competent to practice. This one says teachers have a certain personal commitment, a moral commitment, to promoting maximum growth and learning in children. So you're supposed to be well-educated, competent, know what you're teaching, know how to teach. You should also care about children and be committed to promoting their maximum growth and learning. Okay? If you do these two things, you meet these two criteria, then as a teacher you have the right and the obligation to make decisions in the classroom. Now that's a new concept and sometimes that's an unusual concept. Uh, a lot of um, uh, theory and philosophy and uh, just sort of concepts in teacher education never quite get to the idea of as a teacher in the classroom what are your rights? This is sort of an interesting concept. What are your rights as a teacher in the classroom and what are your obligations? Authoritative approaches say that as the teacher you have the right to make decisions. And in fact, you have an obligation to make decisions. We can expand this to the relationship between adults and children. And there are some modern uh, theorists that would very, very much uh, remove from adults the right to make certain decisions about their children. Um, I am more conservative than that, a lot more conservative. I believe that adults have tremendous obligations toward children that involve making certain decisions for children on their behalf. My premise is that children are immature. Uh, they're supposed to be immature and adults have tremendous obligations to care for them, make decisions for them. Alright, just extend that into the classroom and that's an authoritative approach. You're an adult. Alright, basic principles. Establish specific, clearly understandable rules and procedures for the major problematic situations. Well, now I'm hoping you're understanding that that theme has run all the way through our course. You establish specific, clearly understandable rules. The student knows, the child knows, the teacher knows, the parent knows, all the adults know. Everybody knows the rules and the procedures for the major problematic situations. And we've done some talking about what those situations are in the classroom. In the home, it's going to be bedtime, mealtime, getting up, uh, whether you go to school, uh, how you behave uh, towards your parents, how you treat your siblings. You establish rules and procedures for the problematic situations, the major ones. Another thing, establish specific, clearly understandable consequences 
for violation of rules and procedures. Now you've been hearing that one since uh, our first approach, which was the behavioral approach. Uh, there were also mentions of consequences and rules in the managerial approach. Our humanistic approaches were not touchy-feely, and they advocated clear, understandable rules and procedures and clear things that happen. They might not call them consequences, but the idea that children are responsible for their behavior. All right, so we've got some continuity here and some really important ideas. All right, here's our word communicate. Really important to make sure that the rules and procedures are communicated clearly to all parties in the situation. Well, if you remember uh, back to how to give a reprimand, one of the things I told you was you give a reprimand when you are sure the child clearly knows and understands the rules or procedure that he or she has willfully violated. So back to that clarity, understanding concept. You communicate, then you enforce rules and procedures consistently. Again, you've heard that before. It's consistent with a behavioral approach, a managerial approach, humanistic approach. You set those rules and procedures, your consequences, you communicate them, and by golly, you enforce them consistently, all the time, every student, no exceptions except for really, really unusual circumstances, you're consistent. Now, this one's a little different. This one's new. You establish the teacher's rights and responsibilities. A new concept, teacher's rights, responsibilities. And you base those rights and responsibilities on the teacher's competence, knowledge, commitment to learning, and, stu and students' well-being. You got the competence, you're committed to helping your students grow, you therefore have rights and responsibilities in the classroom as a teacher. All right, now, strengths of authoritative approaches, and they are considerable. Build students' respect for and ability to live in an orderly, regulated society with other people. Uh, no matter how individualistic you are, uh, no matter how uh, libertarian you may be, at least at some level, human beings have to live together in an orderly, regulated society with other people. I, I think most people understand that the school is a social system and it is really important for learning for children to behave in an orderly, well-regulated manner. In addition to that, we need to understand that school is a really good learning ground for social skills. And I'm not talking about being friends and chit-chatting, you know, which uh, most teenagers, not all, but most teenagers can do quite well. I'm talking about positive proactive social skills like belonging to a group, assuming a role, different roles, sometimes you're the leader, the follower, following instructions, cooperating, making group decisions, um, treating each other with respect, including everybody in the group, on and on and on. Schools can be and should be 
places where kids learn those good social skills, those positive social skills. The authoritative approach helps build students' skills for work and behavior. Again, unless you're just really way off the chart in terms of individualism and libertarianism and, and uh, even revolution, you understand that children need to learn how to work. Uh, human beings aren't born knowing how to work. And work is not just following instructions, although that's a really good skill. It is complicated. It involves things like um, figuring out what you need to do, setting goals, working backward from your goals to set established steps, uh, looking at places where you're going to have to make a decision, where you can't anticipate ahead of time what you might do, looking at where you're going to need more information, looking at places in your work where you're going to have to stop, get some review and input, whatever. The ability to set that goal, to identify a task, and to systematically move forward to it. Um, one thing I tell my college students, which they don't always appreciate, but I think they do listen to me, is they say, oh, I hate this biology class. It's so boring. And I ask them uh, to talk to people who are in the workforce doing whatever job they think they might like to ask, asking them how much of their work is boring, uh, how much of their work involves just simply a task they have to do or material they have to master that is not the least bit thrilling, but they simply have to buckle down and bring their attention and their energy to the task or to the material long enough that they complete the task or master the material you will find that most people in their job have to do that. That's a job skill. Very few of us, very few people get to work at some sort of uh, career or job that is constantly challenging. Uh, even very creative people, artists for example, have to master their craft. They have to learn a whole lot of technical stuff in order to do the creative stuff. Um, again, children need to learn how to work. Children also need to learn how to behave properly. Uh, a human being who never masters basic behavioral skills, basic social interaction skills, is going to have trouble, and often severe trouble, throughout his or her life. So authoritative approaches help students learn to work and behave. All right, authoritative approaches recognize the rights and responsibilities of teachers and adults regarding children. Um, another thing that has come through this course, and I hope you've picked it up, is that children who are raised very leniently and very permissively um, do not have good life outcomes. That you can find a uh, philosophy or point of view that says, well, um, we need to raise children very freely. Um, I sort of call it the idea that the best way to raise children is to let them run naked in the woods uh, and communicate with the bears. Give them a lot of material goods 
give them a lot of experiences. You just be the facilitator as the caretaker or the uh, teacher. Stand back and watch the little rosebuds unfold. I repeat, children who are raised in that way typically, almost overwhelmingly, have bad life outcomes. It's real important that adults maintain their proper role, their rights, and their responsibilities for the behavior, education, moral, and intellectual growth of children. Authoritative approaches recognize the primacy of teaching and learning in the school. Sometimes I get students, particularly student teachers, who have so much love and compassion for children that they go into the classroom seeing themselves primarily as a sort of counselor. If what you really want to do with children is be a counselor, ETSU has a very good school counseling program. I recommend that you get your te teacher licensure, work for a couple of years, maybe more as a teacher, but you've got to focus on being a teacher, and then go into the master's degree in school counseling, uh, if that's what you want to do. If you're in the classroom as a teacher, your main obligation, your main responsibility is to help those children learn and to teach them good, valuable, wonderful skills to benefit their life. That's the most valuable thing you can give them. That doesn't mean that you ignore their psychological needs. That doesn't mean you ignore their feelings and emotions. Sometimes those things interfere with learning. Uh, children who are hungry, for example, have a hard time concentrating. But your primary focus and the school's primary focus needs to be on teaching and learning in the school. The schools that do the best job of helping children mature psychologically, socially, are those that focus on academic learning for all students. Authoritative approaches protect the rights of children who want to learn and behave. Um, if you work in schools very long, and particularly if you work above with children above the primary grades, but even with primary and preschoolers, you will find some children who for whatever reason aren't interested in learning and behaving. Uh, often, and we do not have to make a moral judgment, they may have some sort of, um, of disturbance, uh, psychological disturbance, but they fundamentally have no interest in behaving and learning, and they constantly disrupt and interfere with the rights of other children who want to behave and want to learn. Uh, again, the authoritative approach has that concept of the, of the best outcomes, the benefit, the most good for the most people. Authoritative approaches say, you don't want to learn, you don't want to behave, uh, we've got problems with you, and we're going to do some things about it. And we protect the kids who do want to learn and behave. Can be a powerful morale builder for students and teachers. Uh, I think people who are focused on a sort of more libertarian or uh, 
a highly liberal approach to teaching don't understand this until they see a classroom, see a um, school that really has very firm discipline, but a lot of warmth and kids behave and they feel good and they have a lot of school spirit. Um, I have seen a, a school where kids were taught, lower class African American kids were taught to march. And when they got to the corner to turn, they turned a square corner like a soldier or a military cadet does. And you think, oh, well, that's terrible. That's rigid. That is repressive. The school had wonderful morale. The kids felt safe. They felt secure. They felt very much loved. Very warm climate environment. A lot of warmth between teachers and students. And the kids just ate it up. So an authoritative approach done correctly actually is a morale builder for both students and teachers. Now weaknesses. There are some problems with authoritative approaches, particularly if they are not implemented thoughtfully, judiciously, and with the idea that we really are here to promote teaching, learning, and the well-being of children. You can wind up mistreating individuals who don't fit into the system for legitimate reasons. This can be kids with various kinds of disabilities, uh, behavior problems. It can just be kids who've got a real strong rebellious streak, who are renegades. Um, kids, for example, with uh, attention deficit order or uh, hyperactivity, if people are not really alert to their behavior problem and do not get them the proper referral and diagnosis and treatment, can label them as troublemakers and uh, they can experience a great deal of difficulty, be damaged, pushed out, shoved aside, because nobody ever bothers to, um, to listen to them. And uh, one of my personal experiences was with a student who was regarded as um, withdrawn, shy, uh, nice uh, girl, 15 years old, uh, polite, cooperative, respectful, very, very timid. Um, she was in my class. I don't remember exactly what happened, but there were a couple of incidents that made me realize but she wasn't hearing me. I spoke to her from behind her where she couldn't see my face and she gave no response. Happened a couple of times. I referred her to have her hearing tested. She ha had a great deal of hearing loss. Again, there was a system. She was put into it. As long as she cooperated, as long as she behaved, uh, she was pronounced to be not real bright, but sweet and shy. No one ever realized she was, she had a lot of hearing loss. She was uh, fairly severely hearing impaired. All right, the system mistreats, overlooks, ignores individuals who don't fit in for some reason. All right, any kind of law and order system 
can become a goal in itself. People, adults, school people get so focused on the system, maintaining the system, that it becomes the goal in itself. Uh, we often refer to this in other contexts as, uh, you know, bureaucrats, uh, mindless bureaucrats, bean counters, people who go by the book and there will never be any exception. Uh, the system, whatever it is, can become very rigid and repressive. And the rules, the system, the, the bureaucracy, the way we do things in this school, in this classroom, may replace individual initiative. Um, for example, one sign of that is when you get rule upon rule upon rule upon rule. Do this, do this, do this, do this. Uh, and you're more interested in the system than any sort of individual initiative. Uh, maybe uh, at some point we need to uh, toss out some of our rules. When I was in high school, I had a teacher who seated children by alphabetical order. And people will say, oh, you shouldn't do that. It's, it's terrible. Well, I don't know that it's terrible. Uh, she just put us in alphabetical order. About halfway through the year, she had everybody stand up, and she turned the rolls around. So if you were on the back, you went to the front. Um, I don't know why she did that. <laughs> Maybe she was trying you know, give the people in the back a chance to be up in the front. Let's take a look at that. Um, if, you, if you sit children by alphabetical order, that's fine. Uh, maybe after six weeks you need to uh, move them around. You know, let's have some initiative. Let's, let's talk to them about where they want to sit. And by the way, I believe in assigned seats. Weaknesses. No system of rules can or should fit every eventuality. People have to be allowed to uh, exercise judgment and initiative. Uh, very similar to the previous uh, weakness, if you try to cover every discipline problem, everything kids can think of to do to misbehave, you will have like 400 rules, 500 rules, 600 rules, okay? So uh, rules should be broad, general, and we should focus on principle. What are the principles behind our classroom rule? Well, every rule in our classroom must promote order, learning, respect for other people. You know, that's a big principle. Um, I don't have to think of everything you might do to violate those big principles. I just have to cover the big areas, and then when you uh, on purpose or not on purpose, do something new and creative to cause trouble that you shouldn't be doing. Well, you know, it's not going to be it's not going to be a huge event. We're simply going to deal with it and fit it into our system and go on. Uh, on the other hand, if I discover that one of my rules is not working well, it's too repressive. Um, we'll change that. There has to be ways for people to exercise judgment and initiative. Today is different. The situation is different. We need to respond differently. All right, picky rules. They inspire creative or assertive students to challenge the system and create rules, create ways around the system. Uh, my all-time favorite uh, 
uh, rule or set of rules that, that kids love to violate in schools is the dress code. Um, dress codes are one of those no-win uh, situations. Whatever you set for a dress code, you will have students who violate it or who push it to the limit or they, um, they will deal with technicalities, whatever. Uh, I worked for a principal who really didn't understand um, kids, bless his heart, this was a long time ago, and um, he believed in dress codes, so he passed, he set up this really firm dress code, um, particularly for boys, he said no tank tops and no t-shirts, and he defined tank tops and t-shirts as shirts without sleeves, so the shirt had to be a sleeve, had, had to have a sleeve. And to eliminate t-shirts, uh, he said that the shirt had to have a collar, all right? So that was, that was his rules. Must have, uh, must have sleeves, must have collars. Group of boys um, went home and they took their t-shirts and their tank tops and they got just sort of odd mix, mixed and matched plaid stripe whatever pieces of cloth and they just stitched up some little sleeves and some little collars ugly things and put them on their t-shirts and their tank tops okay it has collar it has sleeves it's okay the un, one of my other favorite students was uh, a football player and a lot of high school football players are not strong they're just fat real big guys and he was he's big guy with big belly he took one of his football jerseys put a collar on it had sleeves and he cut it off right here so it it met the rule it had sleeves it had a collar and it left his big hairy belly hanging out all right if you make picky rules kids will find all sorts of creative ways around it the principal had a, a real hard time uh, backing up from his dress code and enforcing it. Uh, so if you ban blue jeans, they'll wear green jeans, black jeans, purple jeans. If you uh, try to regulate skirt length, well, they'll, you know, you'll, you'll have students kneeling on the floor while you measure their uh, uh, skirt length. If you forbid shorts, they'll wear skorts whatever it is um, and similarly other picky rules inspire kids to figure out how to break them all right I've covered the uh, basic assumptions strengths and weaknesses of authoritative approaches uh, the next mini lecture uh, on video will look at the most common most popular uh, authoritative approach which is Lee Cantor's assertive discipline take care bye bye